Oh, please turn with me this morning to Deuteronomy chapter 15. At the end of every seven years, thou shalt make a release. And this is the manner of the release. Every creditor that lendeth aught unto his neighbor shall release it. He shall not exact it of his neighbor or of his brother, because it is called the Lord's release. Well, friends, we're thinking this morning about the Lord's release and uh, how we should be releasing people uh, from certain things. Here, the Lord was instructing his people to release the creditors, to release debts that were owed, and then later on to release servants uh, who were under their charge at the right time. And it's a fairly unusual chapter, you may think, for us uh, to consider, because really some of these laws as they are, are not really applicable to us. But what we're going to do is draw out the spiritual laws, the spiritual principle uh, which are here, because that does have application for us and is relevant for us as believers uh, today. So that's what we're going to think about here, the Lord's release. Uh, and verse 1, at the end of every seven years, thou shalt make a release. Well, this is referring to the Sabbath uh, year. Every seventh year was meant to be the, the, a Sabbath year, a special year, different from the other years to the Jews. And in that particular year, they were not to sow and plow in the land. They were not to plant again. And there was to be also no harvesting of the crops in that seventh year. The landowner was to leave it, to let it, let it lie, as it were, to release it, let it be as it was. And the harvest of that seventh year from, uh, uh, was to the vineyards, uh, the harvest from the land, from the vineyards and the olive groves, well, it's just to be left there so that the poor could come and they could help themselves to what they need. And they could do it with some measure of dignity rather than receiving it as a handout uh, from uh, the creditors and the landowners. They could come and they could help themselves to, uh, to the things that they needed. And also, it was whatever was left over after that, even the, the animals uh, could avail themselves of these, those things. So the landowner was to take a, a step backward for that one particular year and leave it as it is. And it meant, of course, that he had to trust God not only for that year, but also for years eight and years nine, uh, for the future. It was an act of faith, and it would have been an act of faith on his part. Well, this Sabbath year was very, is very similar to the weekly Sabbath, the seventh day of the week, the day that was to be set, is to be set aside for rest and worship. In this Sabbath year, all agricultural work was to cease. Can you imagine that? The whole year, the agriculture stops, the farmers stop working, the laborers don't go out into the fields uh, to, to sow and to plow the land, that hard, hot, sweaty work that they had to do, and then to plant all over again. They had nothing to do except to rest and to worship and engage in those things. Well, we use this word sabbatical today, isn't it? when a person maybe will take a year off work or six months or however long, uh, take it, uh, uh, the, the company gives them. Uh, sometimes you have to work 
20 odd years before you get a sabbatical. I think some companies are a little bit more generous nowadays, but they allow you a year off and then you come back again. And it's this, the same sort of idea here, a, a sabbatical, a, a year where they were to leave the land and of course the day, the weekly Sabbath, the Lord's day, it was to be a day of spiritual resting and of spiritual worship, to cease from our usual activities. Even today, the Sabbath day, is a time to let things lie, let other things lie, leave it, the things of the world, so that you can rest, spiritually rest, uh, and to worship and engage in worship. It's an act of faith, really. Also, you could say, to keep the Lord's day. Because you may have pressing things that come upon you, and you may have to lay aside those pressing things that, uh, so that you could uh, worship. Perhaps you're offered double time. The temptation comes, it's dangled, the carrot is dangled before you. Oh, if you work on Sunday, you'll work, you'll have double time. You're, well, that's a lot of money. And the temptation is, well, I'll skip church so that I can uh, get this extra money. But faith says, no, I'm going to honor the Lord. Maybe you really need the money. Maybe it will, it will help you, no ends. And you, you, you need it. But uh, faith says, well, I'm going to trust the Lord. I'm going to honor Him. I'm going to keep His day. And even uh, if it means I lose out a little bit, still I will trust Him for it. I know Matt's teacher, and he's, uh, uh, he used to give private tuition. And his best day, his, when the income was the highest, was Sunday. And he became a, a Christian, and he heard about the Lord's Day, and he decided, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop my private tuition. Well, he did. And uh, he lost out financially, yes. And, uh, but he didn't, he, wasn't, he didn't become a poor man. But he, had, he didn't have to lose out somewhat. But the Lord made up for him, I'm sure, in other ways, in terms of contentment and happiness and blessing. Because every Lord's Day, he was able to attend the Lord's house. Oh, some people say, if I don't put the hours into my studies, I need the Lord's Day, I need Sunday to study, I've got so much to do, so many assignments to fill in. Well, friends, even that you can trust the Lord for, as long as you do your work at other times, as long as you study in the other hours, the Lord maybe will give you extra help in those other hours because you seek to put Him first on that day. So it's, it's a blessing to have the Lord's, uh, the Lord's Day, that weekly Sabbath. But let's get back to this here. We're talking about uh, for forgiving our debtors. That's the main thought uh, in this first passage. In the Sabbath year, the cred every creditor was to release anyone from debts that they owed him. Verse 2, this is the manner of the release. Every creditor that lendeth oath unto his neighbor shall release it. Cancel all the debts. Cancel everything that was owed to him. Release all those people from the obligation to repay those debts. Now, friends, I have to say, commentators are somewhat divided on this particular passage and the extent of, where, of this uh, debt cancellation. Some, some commentators say, well, the, the debt cancellation was only for the Sabbath year, for that one year, for that one, per one period of time they, the people didn't have to uh, continue with their repayments. 
It was, they didn't have work, in the, uh, they couldn't go out into the land and labor and earn a wage, and so would have nothing to repay. So it would be a good thing if you just let them off for one year. Let, don't exact money from them for that particular year. Be merciful to them. Think of that. Think that they don't have anything to pay with. Be kind to them. Release them from their obligations to pay for the year. Well, that would have been a great help. That would have been a great blessing if it was so, and it would have alleviated them from a lot of pressure uh, who, owed, uh, who owed money. But other commentators say it was a full discharge, a complete cancellation of the debt, a complete release uh, from it. The creditor was to pursue it no longer. He was to exact it. You shall not exact it of your neighbor or of your uh, brother. He was not to harass him uh, for it. He was not to take him to court uh, uh, over it. Uh, he was not to compel him. You've got to pay up, uh, even during uh, this year. But uh, he was not to do that, but to uh, allow him uh, to be free completely, not only during that year, but for, for good. It was a complete cancellation. We see something of this as well in verse 9. Beware that thou, there be not a thought in thy wicked heart, saying, The seventh year, the year of release is at hand, and thine eye be evil against thy poor brother, and thou givest him naught. So the creditors are warned, uh, even against withholding lending, because the seventh year was approaching. Oh, if I, only, if I have to give him now, it's the sixth year. Next year, uh, I, I will... I, I will have to cancel all the debt, but I will lose all or everything. It'll be like a gift that I'm giving to him. But the Lord said, beware that you don't think like this in your heart. Well, friends, it could go, one could go either way uh, with this. The commentators really are divided. But if we take it as we read it, take it as it is uh, in the scripture, uh, it seems to lean more towards a complete release a full release of the payment rather than just a temporary one, a complete release. All the debts are wiped out. This, it's a clean start that it is being given to the debtor. What a blessing that would be to him. Not to know that, oh, next year I have to start repaying it again, but it's, it's gone. My debt is gone once and for all and for good. Oh, what a relief, what a joy it would be to his heart to feel that, how thankful he would be to his creditor who has been uh, so kind to him. The stress of always having it at the back of his mind, I've got to pay that debt, I've got to repay that, that wage, I've got to support my family and pay that debt off, how can I do it? Well, that's gone because that debt has been cancelled uh, once and for all. So perhaps it leans more towards this complete cancellation. Well, and we could say as well, if that really happened, the debtor, maybe, even though his debt is all cancelled, he could maybe, if he became somewhat richer later, he could come back and say, here is, I want to pay it. There was no law saying you had to do that. But maybe he, just, he would, out of his own free will and out of his own conscience, maybe feel obliged to pay, uh, to pay it back. Verse 3 tells us this, this law applied only to the Jews, not to foreigners. Of a foreigner, thou mayest exact it again. Uh, foreigners were still allowed to work. Uh, they were still working during the Sabbath year, so they could 
they easily pay things back. And furthermore, verse 4 tells us that it's not a rule that was applicable for everyone, for every Jew, but only for those who were poor and those who were needy amongst them. Say, save, except when there shall be no poor among you. So it was not meant to screen the rich uh, from repaying their debts, but only those who are really poor and those who couldn't afford uh, to pay back, who are unable to pay the creditor back. And then also there is uh, that, uh, that promise which was given at the end of verse 4 and verse 5, that if they hearkened unto the Lord, if they kept His commandments, well, they wouldn't be any poor in the land. It's not that they would all be prosperous, friends. This is not prosperity teaching. It's that there would be no poor people if they had kept the Lord's commandments and observed to do all, uh, all that He said. Verse 6, For the Lord thy God blesseth thee as He promised thee, and you shall lend, be lenders to other nations, but not borrowers. And you shall reign over many nations, but there shall not be, they shall not reign, but they shall, they shall not reign uh, over thee. That was a promise. But of course, the reality was uh, that it would, it would not uh, happen. It never happened uh, because they never fully kept this, this part of the, of, of the condition of the promise of obeying the Lord. And we read in verse 11, so the poor shall never cease out of the land. That's the reality of their situation. Well, friends, uh, what does this uh, teach us? What's the application for us? Well, one obvious application for us is that we are to forgive our debtors. We are to forgive those who have offended us, forgive those uh, who have sinned against us. We are to release others uh, from that obligation. We are to forgive them from our, our hearts if somebody has offended us in some way or other. We're not to hold on to offenses and grievances that come our way. Life is full of these. Life is full of offenses. Even we who teach, we offend people. Uh, and everyone offends in some way. Uh, we're not to hold on to offenses. We're not to be resentful believers and implacable as God's people. And, to, uh, you know, as, as it were, say, pay me what you owe me, in that kind of a spirit. The, the Lord's way, the Lord's release is to forgive other people. This is uh, His way of doing things. You know His words. Mark 11, verse 25. When ye stand praying, forgive if ye have aught against any, that your Father also, which is in heaven, may forgive your trespasses. And then Matthew 6, 12, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So in the church, believers, well, we need to forgive uh, one another. In the homes, husbands and wives, well, we need also to be a forgiving people, to overlook sometimes what's said and what's done, which it's, it's, it's minor things. Where there are big things, where there are serious things, yeah, we cannot sweep those under the carpet. But they're small things. Where we don't have to get all upset about it and hurt about it. We can say, well, in our hearts, I forgive you. I, I, I'm not going to hold anything against you. In the home as well, perhaps parents have to need to forgive 
their children when their children provoke them to anger. Or the other way around, when children provoke, are provoked by their fathers or their mothers uh, in some way or other. It's the need to constantly uh, forgive uh, other people. Friends with friends. Of course, friendships have been broken. Why? Because somebody didn't want to apologize. Somebody didn't want good friendships. Friendships that have been going on for years are broken because somebody didn't want to say sorry. I heard of uh, an illustration of, I think it's a real occurrence, but two believers, they were engaged in a discussion together and the discussion got somewhat heated and out of hand and they left each other in an angry way and uh, when one of them got home, well, uh, that, that scripture came to him in Ephesians, don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. You know, don't be angry while you, before you go to bed. Sort things out. But he got up and he decided, I'm going to go and apologize and reconcile with my friends. And when he was halfway on, uh, on his journey, he met his friend. His friend was coming the other way and the same thing happened to his friend. His friend felt the same way and wanted to come and reconcile. And they both reconciled in the middle. Oh, that's what, that's what we have to do, friends. Yes, those serious sins have to be addressed, and we mustn't sweep them under the carpet. But generally, in, in the smaller things, we apologize or we just bypass and overlook certain things. We release people. Oh, what a help that will be to us. But then here's another thought for us. This, the creditor who is lending is obviously richer than his poor brother, isn't he? He's obviously in a better position to help. Are you a believer? Are you trusting in the Lord? Well, friends, you're a spiritually rich person. You have so much going for you. You have so much in your possession. You are in a place where you can help the unbeliever. You are in a place where, and you have things which they do not have. You have spiritual life. You have access to God. You have a God who hears your voice when you pray. You know the way to be saved. You know the way a person can find a clear conscience with God. You know the, you can tell a person how to get to heaven. You have that knowledge. It's happened to you. You're possessing these things. You're a creditor. You're rich in this way. You're blessed in this way. You have peace with God. And you can tell others about these things. Freely you have received these things. Freely give them uh, to others. Oh friend, my believing friend, don't go around as if you're a pauper and miserable and a beggar and it's a niggardly thing to serve the Lord and oh, it's a terrible thing to serve Him. You're spiritually a rich and blessed person. Lift up your head. Don't be envious of the unbeliever. Don't be envious because he has a big car and a big house. Look at what you have. You, are, you have much more valuable things than they do. Well, verse 7 tells us uh, you have to uh, uh, help your brother. Verse 7 goes on. If there be among you a poor man of one of thy brethren within any of thy gates in thy land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, thou shalt not harden thine heart nor shut thine hand from thy poor brother. The creditor, the lender, is instructed to give when his brother comes to him and asks for help. He was not to shut his bowels of compassion from him. 
when he's approached for help, he's warned, don't be hard-hearted, don't be tight-fisted, don't be miserly. Look at verse 8. Thou shalt open thine hand wide unto him, and shalt surely lend him sufficient for his need in that which he wanteth. Beware that there be not that evil thought in thy, that thought in thy wicked heart. So he, here is, is, uh, he's told to give, and then verse 10 also tells, tells him the manner in which he is to give. Thou shalt surely give him, and thine heart shall not be grieved when thou givest unto him, because, because that for this thing the Lord thy God shall bless thee in all thy works and in all that thou puttest thy hand to. The manner, yes, be willing to give, but the manner in which you do it, don't do it grudgingly. Don't do it because you have to do it. Don't do it out of reluctance. Oh, I have to help this brother. He's come to me. I have to extend the help because God told me to do it, so I'll do it. That's not the way to do it. Oh, friends, it's uh, help him. Feel for your brother. Don't do it in a grudging way. Put yourself in his position. Have pity upon him. See that he's having, going through a hard time. He's struggling. Help him out. Help him out. And the Lord will bless you. Paul picked up on this principle, isn't it, when he was talking about uh, giving in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 7. Shows, isn't it? Uh, Paul didn't receive everything he, he got from, from the revelation in, in heaven from his time with Christ. He also had to study the Old Testament. And he drew up principles from the Old Testament and applied it in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7 is talking about giving every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give. And then listen, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. Recently I was asked by somebody, why don't you do a collection in the church? Why aren't you collecting, uh, collecting uh, money during, during the service? Well, we are, we want our, we are offering, uh, we do have a box behind, but we want people to give voluntarily from their heart because they want to give rather than feel coerced or feel that they have to put something uh, into the, the box as it goes around. So there is a box behind, and if you want to give to the Lord, by all means do so, but do it uh, as unto Him. But here, friends, the lesson for us from this also is this the manner of giving is that it's a part also of our sanctification. It's a part of our learning process. We have to learn to be merciful and pity others. Compassion is not something that is automatically given to us when we are born again. Great changes happening when we are born again. Conversion changes us tremendously, but it doesn't, it's not a completed work. Part of our sanctification is to learn to be more pitiful people, more concerned people, more generous people, kinder people. You know, we come into the world as babes, and everyone loves a little baby when it comes into the world. But how does a baby come into the world? The thing is, every baby comes into the world with clenched fists. And that's, that's, uh, uh, that's how we are, isn't it? We, apparently, they say, these clenched fists, they don't let go. If, you, if, you, if the mother tries to uh, 
uh, unfurl those fingers, they very quickly go back. It's a natural reflex for the fingers to go back into that clenched uh, position. And sometimes it takes babies apparently some three months before uh, they will release those fingers. Oh, we're like that, spiritually. We come into the world clenched, uh, we're tight-fisted, we're mean, naturally speaking, friends, hard-hearted. This is not, we don't come into the world as wonderful, merciful, considerate people, thoughtful people. No, it's part of our sanctification. Uh, we, uh, conversion begins the change, and it's an ongoing work. I need to feel more for others. I need to be more considerate. I need to be more generous. I need to be uh, more compassionate. I need to think about other people's interests and not just my own. And that's a process of sanctification. I need to pity those especially who are without Christ and feel for them who are without Christ. Do you remember uh, we learned not so long ago about Jonah and the Lord had to teach Jonah that mass message of compassion. He wanted judgment to fall upon Nineveh. Lord, do as I've said. You've said you're going to destroy the city. Destroy it. But they repented and Jonah was upset that they repented. And the Lord had to teach Jonah compassion. You have to feel for those people. And he, so the Lord also is doing the same uh, with us. He is like that. He is very merciful. He is very pitiful. The mighty God, the holy God, has a tender heart. A heart of pity for sinners, for his people. He loves us. He's always repent. Uh, he's always response. Isn't it amazing? I'm amazed. Sometimes I read the Old Testament, and I I, I, I read recently about Manasseh, the, that that w wicked king, and there was probably no one more wicked than him in the uh, amongst the royalty ever. He was such an awful person. I cannot go through all the things. But when you he ended up in jail, in a prison in Babylon, and and then he he at last he prayed to God, and you know what? God heard his prayer. And I'm thinking in my heart, let him perish. Let him suffer the worst. Let the wrath of God fall upon him. That's what he deserves. And God says, he's going to forgive him and restore him and bring him back again to his land. Oh, friends, this is God's way. He's a tender heart of God. And that's how we should be as his people. Reflection, reflecting him. And so we always have opportunities. For, so we always have the poor and the needy and the elderly and the sick amongst us and the unconverted because they are opportunities for the believer to learn compassion and to feel for others, to open our hands widely, to be givers and not just takers and gainers. This is what the Lord is teaching us. Well, verse 12 to 18 I must move quickly on. Uh, we have another scenario, but the same uh, principles apply. There were occasions when a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman, well, they just were so poor uh, that they had no other choice but to sell themselves to their fellow Jews. They said, take us into your service, give us food and a place to stay, and that will be a kind of repayment for what we owe uh, to you. And they would have to serve for six years, but at the end of the in the seventh year, they were to be released, and the the owner uh, would the Hebrew man 
or the Hebrew owner rather, he was to release them in that seventh year. Verse 18 tells him, it shall not seem hard unto thee when thou sendest him away free from thee. He was not to say, well, this man, I, I don't want to lose his service. He's, he's been a good servant. He's, uh, I want to keep him. No, you must let him go at the end of six years. But the point here, friends, is again, they were, when they were released, when they were sent out from that home, those servants, they were not to be sent out on their way empty. Verse 13, when thou sendest him out free from thee, thou shalt not let him go away empty. The master was to send out him out with provisions from uh, his abundance. He was to be thoughtful for this servant who had uh, been with him for six years, and he would, uh, had to provide for him from his flock and from his vineyard and from his fields. And he was basically, you could say, load that person, that servant, with enough provisions and goods to let him have a good start in life so that he can begin afresh his life, his new life as he goes out, not to let him go out with nothing, empty-handed, but to give him what he needed so that he could uh, have a good start in his new circumstances. That's what the, uh, the thought is here. And the Lord goes on to remind that, that uh, owner and he says, verse 15, Thou shalt remember that thou wast a bondman in the land of Egypt, and the Lord thy God redeemed thee. Therefore I command thee this thing today. Don't forget, when you came out of Egypt, God is saying to them, how did you come out? When I brought you out of slavery, I made all the Egyptians give you jewels of silver, jewels of gold, raiment. They loaded you with those things. That was reparation for all your years of service in Egypt. And uh, so remember that uh, the Lord is saying uh, to uh, when you're in the, the land. This would be a great act of kindness, of course, on the part of the master, but uh, a necessary one. Oh, friends, the lesson for us, kindness goes a long way. Kindness is... Uh, it goes a long way with us, with, with people. It touches people's lives. Everyone responds to kindness. Is it then possible for a Christian, a believer, to be unkind? To be unkind? Is it possible? 1 John 3, 17. John also wonders about this. Whoso hath this world's goods and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? Question mark. John is wondering, can it really be? And there's a situation that is before him, and he shuts up his compassion from that person. Our friends, even Spurgeon, uh, Spurgeon said this, God would have uh, his people not only do what is right, but righteous, but what is generous, and act not only justly, but kindly to all with whom they come into contact. And that's, that's what's in mind here. It's not just sending him off, this servant, but with acts of kindness. What a blessing our life can be if we are filled with acts of kindness, friends, to others. But I, I close uh, just two more things. Verse 16 and 17, something uh, here. Uh, this, the servant may turn around to his master and say, 
Uh, I don't want to go away, verse 16. I will not go away from thee because he loveth thee. He loves your house because he is well with thee. Then they were to take this all-appointed instrument and thrust it through his ear unto the door, and he shall be thy servant forever. So here he says, servant, he doesn't want to leave. He's, he's happy to serve in that master's house, and he wants to remain there forever. Oh, you can see the application, I'm sure, friends, isn't it? Uh, can we not say this of our master, the Lord Jesus Christ? We are serving him. We have been in his service. We don't want to leave him. He is a good master. He is a kind master. He has treated us well. He has filled our lives with such a blessing. It's a pleasure to labor for Christ. It's a delight uh, to serve him, to be uh, his servant. He's not a slave driver. He doesn't whip us. He doesn't force us into doing things. He bears with us. He bears with our weaknesses. He's so kind a master to us. So gently he treats us. He doesn't come down upon us like a ton of bricks if we do something wrong. I know, don't we want to say as well, friends, I don't want to leave your service, Lord. I want to be yours, forever yours. To whom else can I go? Lord, you have the words of eternal life. I want to be your disciple. I want to be in your company uh, forever. That's what it's saying here. You have delivered me from the tyrant Satan. You have delivered me. I was held by my lusts. And you delivered me from those things. You set me free. I want to be your, your servant. You have brought me into a better place than ever I was. And I don't want to leave your side. You know that hymn? We don't have it, unfortunately, in our book. It's a, it's a lovely hymn by Francis Ridley Havergill. I love, I love my master. I will not go out free, for he is my redeemer. He paid the price for me. I would not leave his service. It is so sweet and blessed. And in the weariest moments, he gives the truest rest. Well, friends, just one more thought, and then we, we close. The Lord's release, the creditor, has to cancel all debt and exact it not again. This is the gospel. This is the gospel message. You come to Christ. You trust in him. He's the great creditor. We owe him. He will cancel all your debts. You tell him your sins. He will forgive all your sins. Not part of it. Not in a temporary way. He will forgive it. He will forget all your sins if you come to him and trust in him. This is what the Lord will do. He will release you from that obligation that you have to pay for your sins because Christ has paid for it in your place. Every single one of your sins are wiped out if you trust in Christ. You're released from the condemnation of every sin that you've ever committed. This is what the gospel offers. Trust in Christ, friends. And you will know that release from the penalty of sin. Well, friends, let's close uh, with our final hymn, 461. Lord, in the fullness of my might, 461. Mm -hmm.